up to 300k. Average 320.25 left. Sending that Dominican heat. Dominican flag, Dominican flag, Dominican flag. Fire, 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 fire. SB limps, we check 65cc, flop 642SS, check, we bet 20k, he makes it 65k, we jam for 149k, he calls with two big A's, five on a turn in a blank river. Ledge, Dominican flag, bag of money, bag of money, high five, high five. 99 is greater than 55, up to 1.3 big M, with 17 left. Hey Matt, please win. Dominican Heat engaged. We want Fuego. AT is greater than A7 down to 13. My heart can't take this. Win all the hands you play, please. QQ is greater than KQ. Up to 1.5, Big M. You honorary Dominican now. Alright everyone, welcome back. Solve for Why vlogcast episode numero 8. Christian Soto, Matt Berkey, La República Dominicana, and we're back, man. What is up? I think my name is Mateos. No, your name is Mateo. Yeah, that's what I no, said. No, not Mateos. That's some fucking dark... Yeah, Mateo. Yeah, Mateo. Yeah, M-A-T-E-O. Yeah. Yeah. I'm gonna call you that. <laughs> <laughs> All right, before we get started, we have to try to keep the lights on in this place. Last week, one of your lights went out, so... uh we have to try to keep the lights on. So we have a couple things that are coming up. First thing, <clears throat> excuse me, is my webinar coming up next week on Monday. It is called From Start to Finish. I'm going to review all the hands I played in the Monster Stack from the first hand I was dealt level one minute 60 of the <laughs> tournament. <laughs> um, and until I bust, uh, which I think was either day two or day three. Um, so every single hand, I, thought, I think that's pretty cool. You get to kind of like be on my shoulder, like review all the, all the decisions I made, the good, the bad, some of the things I might do better, uh, things like that. You've never seen all my hands. No. We give away a one-week free trial to the Solve for Why TV site. So uh, if, you, if you're interested in attending this webinar live, uh, just head over to tv.solveforyacademy.com, register. Uh, you'll get a link emailed to you, uh, Zoom link, and you will get to attend and ask Christian questions in real time. Ask me questions, and then the week after that, you get to ask me more questions, but maybe your free trial already ended. I don't know. Um, <laughs> so if you want to ask me more questions, we have something called Office Hours. I review even more things in a little bit more detail about that. So that's that. Hear me talk. Holla at your boy. Anyway, now to shut the lights off, you want to give away two seats yeah. to our academy. Yeah, yeah. So it's like, what the hell's going on? Free trial. Now they get two seats for free. And now we're doing an academy in Vegas. Yeah, what's going on, man? We we're giving it away, man. I'm giving away the farm. Um, yeah, so we were supposed to do an East Coast Academy. That kind of fell through. Mm -hmm. uh, the logistics of it just became a little bit too nightmarish. So we're actually moving it back to Vegas to our headquarters where we always run it. Damn. Uh, it's, you're upset? I thought we were doing it at Google. <laughs> <laughs> Not at Google. Um, so we're giving away two seats, one to the MTT Academy and one to the Cash Game Academy. Mm -hmm. uh, and, you know, per our contest rules from last week, all you have to do is submit a two-minute video explaining the most impactful moment of your poker career and, uh, you know, why solve for why, like why you would want to attend these academies. Uh, we already have a couple submissions. Kind of cool. Uh, the first submission was a kid that I played with in, I can't remember the event. It might have been the Monster Stack. It was one of those infinite chip starting stack yeah, yeah. type events. But uh, yeah, he's a student in, in Rutgers, really good kid. Seems like he's pretty solid. Uh, so it's kind of nice. Get creative, people. Yeah. I see all you vloggers out there doing edits, doing skits. 
Yeah. Amuse me. Yeah, I saw the kid's submission. I thought it was pretty cool. I was pretty certain, like, when he popped up his video, I was like, I played with this kid, and then it said, oh, he's from Jersey. I'm like, oh, I probably That's right. what I said. Yeah. I saw him at the table, and I was like, yeah, I recognize you. I don't know how. And I asked you if you knew him, and you said no. But I was, like, positive that you, like, took, like, yeah. a slide shot of him at the table one day and sent it to me. Yeah, probably. <laughs> I wreck people from Jersey. What's up? Anyway, so that's that. And that's actually how, not we discovered, eh, you know, whatever. That's how Marley came about in yeah. this whole scene. Uh, effectively, she submitted an application. Then we were like, oh, this is great. She came to the academy. And now she is big time. Super big time. More big time than us. Real big time. More big time than us. Can't compete, yeah. Okay. All right, so we are back. It is, it's been a busy week, man. It's all the poker. Not for me. All the poker on TV, all you can eat. It is, it is madness out there. It's, it's devastating. Sheer and utter horror. I think it's one of those things where it's like, if you're not in it, you just want to critique everything. Twitter is raging right now on everything poker related. If you do something wrong and you're on television, it's being shown right away. I don't feel that way at all. Although, I guess I'm trying to pay very little attention because I'm sour. Um, I, 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 well, I'm not in it. I don't want to watch it for that exact reason. Yeah. So, one of the major things that was like major controversy, obviously, this week on like all the stuff and like all the rulings. Uh, but earlier in the summer, Matt Savage like tweeted out like, oh, like what are some of the rules that you all want to see changed uh, going into the, like the TD summit and something like that. Uh, and then I asked him, I tweeted at him, uh, and, and I, I kind of want your take on this. I said, not certain about this. If a player who doesn't speak English says 1,500, throwing a 25K chip at 5K big blind into a pot of 25K. Mm. And then the dealer says, that's not a bet. And then this player says, sorry, I meant... 11,500 and broke in like very broken English. Sure. What do you think is reasonable there? At WSOP, they made him min bet. Really? Yeah. I would guess Savage would uh, utilize uh, discrepancy according to the pot size and would allow the 11.5. Right. He said, uh, effectively, he said he, he would allow it on a case by case basis in fairness. You know? Yeah. I think that's very fair. Now, what I'm trying to say is I think at least the pulse of the game that I've seen, especially at World Series and stuff, is like very black and white, not a lot of discretion to floor. Sure. What are your thoughts on that, generally speaking? Well, I mean, I think, that's, I think that's the whole purpose of the TDA Summit is to, is to remove the subjectivity as much as possible. So the issue with, you know, declaration of bets when people are using oversized chip has been one that's been greatly debated. And I think Savage is like one of the leaders who leans on utilizing pot size in order to uh, signify intent. Mm -hmm. And I think that's logical, but I also think we're seeing a lot more small betting taking place now than we ever have in the past. Right. So it's a lot more likely that you'll see more one tenth pot than you will pot, right? So if a pot's 25K, somebody throws out a 25K chip and says 25, or and says 25. Right. Uh, it's hard you know, to know. Up until this point, people would have counted it as 25K. Um, now, I think it's a lot more Now it could be 2,500. It could be one-tenth pot. Or right, right. And it seems a lot less un unnecessary to declare 25K if you're betting a 25K chip, whatever. How I look at this situation is like, I think it's kind of clear in special situations where, like, the player clearly, like, this isn't a game, like, I don't know, I don't know, like, the gaming laws or anything, but it's, like, it's clear this person doesn't speak English, like, like, yeah, clearly. just leave it open to angles, man, like, Jackie know, on Poker like, Ghost suddenly forgets how to speak English all the time when <laughs> shit goes down. Yo, you're throwing shots today. I don't care. I'm just saying, I think it's one, yeah, maybe you're open to angle, but, like, I think it's a, it's a situation where, like, you say, okay, I'll allow it this time, you get a warning, this is it, like, yeah. next time is, it's just a mid-bet, whatever. No matter how hard we try governing ourselves as human beings and as a race as a whole or whatever, 
it's impossible to live in a gray world and implement in a black and white uh, manner. Right. So there's always going to be discretion necessary, and that's why floor people exist. That's why they have the power that they have, and it's why the, the dealers don't, right? Yeah. It's the biggest reason why dealers can't enforce these rules because there are some that are subject to uh, discretion and context and everything else along the same lines. The best thing that we can hope for is that to some degree – the populace of the table has their opinion taken into consideration, right? So there are eight other observers of what just took place that are going to have some sort of opinion and you effectively have a small jury of your peers. So often the, the floor person in charge should be like polling these people for their, for their take. What I find is, you know, moving away from even just tournament talk, obviously we're in like tournament you know, weak and all that. But I find that, you know, I play, I play like mostly cash games. Like as I moved up, the governing rules of the game became more and more governed by the players than the floor or the dealer. Like the bigger I played, the more the players just governed the game. Has that been? I'm, oh, that's I'm sure. that's a hundred percent true. I mean, the, the you'll never find a game with looser rules than in Ivy's room. Mm -hmm. uh, it's just like you know, at a certain level, like it becomes a gentleman's game, and of course the floor will step in. But I think in five years of being in there, there was never once a floor ruling. We right. just hash it out amongst each other, and like, there's a lot that you know is just kind of like unwritten. You know, it's like playing in Major League Baseball. Uh, there are like certain unwritten rules that like if you come in hard, yeah. cleats up into a base you're gonna catch a ball yeah you're gonna catch a ball the yeah. the next time you're up and like if you throw at somebody like someone's gonna get retaliated on you know there's just like shit you don't do like i remember a rod uh was like coming into third base when there was a pop-up with two outs and he started yelling i got it and the third baseman peeled off and the ball fell and Dang. and it's just like that's like as bush league as it comes right it's yeah. unwritten and he, he wore one the next time he came up to the plate and you know, poker is the exact same thing. It's a gentleman's game, even if it's, uh, you know, cutthroat gambling. There, there's like this idea that when you achieve a certain level, you have to almost surpass the money. And I have a lot of stories like this. Like uh, there was a story, probably my first year and a half in playing the big game, where uh, I played like a quarter million dollar pot against Rick Solomon, mm -hmm. where I landed on the river with four high. Yeah. And... Uh, it went check, check. Yeah, I remember this. I missed a gutty with 4-3, mm -hmm. and he had, like, ace high. And I just always roll my hand, and he mucks. So I just get shipped the pot with the absolute nut low. And, uh, you know, some time went by, and it was just, like, very clear that this was frowned upon. Even though, like, it's his mistake, and, uh, you know, I benefited from it or whatever else, it was just, like, very clear that, like, as a governing body of players in the game, this wasn't the way we were going to operate. And so we ended up splitting the pot. You weren't going to win in that, in that manner. Right, right. Yeah. Uh, and I shouldn't want to win in that manner, right. right? It's just like we play against each other all the time. We give each other action. Like, this isn't a fair result. And chopping the pot is like, you know, even though according to the rules it's unfair, it's beyond fair for me because, like, I deserve to lose the whole thing. Correct, correct. Uh, and then I was shown that same sort of courtesy later, like uh, a hand happened where I had eight, seven and flopped. Uh, the flop was like 10, six X. Uh, I bet JRB called turn was a Jack. I bet JRB called river was a queen and uh, he led into me and I ended up just calling thinking I had eight, nine, mm. but I had eight, seven high. Jeez. And yeah. the hands got tabled, and he's like, did you just call me with eight high? And I go, no, I thought I had nine, eight. Uh, and he's like, you, you didn't call me with eight high? I'm like, no, obviously, like, I thought I had a straight, like, I was just sick. And he just flipped me back the riverbed. That's strong. Yeah, it's just like, you know, it was, it was an awkward moment for me where it's like, he's flipping me back $25,000, and every part of me is just like, take it. Please just lick, yeah. lick your wounds and take it and, and move on. But it's just like... Also, I understand, like, you know, you have to abide by the rules of the game and everything. What do you say to people, though, that simply say this is a game of observation, you capitalize on people's mistakes? 
I think that's true whenever you're in... Th this is why I don't think that you can govern the game through uh, policing one another in tournaments. At least not outside of the high roller circuit. Because it's too, it's too open for exploitation. Right? When you're talking about a thousand person field, yeah. a five thousand person field, whatever. Like you can't trust there aren't bad actors. In a high roller environment or behind glass doors or whatever, the bad actors get weeded out very quickly. Anybody who's willing to exploit these situations are going to be ones that aren't going to be given the courtesy in the future or aren't going to be welcomed in the game. All right, so this week concluded the main event. We have declared a winner, Matt Berkey. I did not win the main okay. event. Asan, how do you pronounce his name? I don't know. H-O-S-S-E-N. No, but the last name is Asan. No, the last name is E-I-N-S-E-N. This is going to be tough, man. This is going to be a, a tough. Spelling bee. This is going to this is going to be a tough one. Uh I thought he played extremely well. I really liked his his moves. It was one play. I remember when it was either five-hander, so he had like 9 8 of diamonds, he like check raised, you know, and then like barreled through. That was dangerous. It was dangerous, but his opponent didn't rip through with ace jack. Well, and, it, it failed know? because of Livingston's response. Correct. And it's a good play because of So the thing that we don't talk about is you know, everybody talks about ICM, ICM mistakes, yada, yada, yada. But what they don't understand is the model of ICM has no uh, comprehension of the Kelly criterion. And the simple breakdown of the Kelly criteria is, right. um, you know, how much of your life's worth is at risk yeah. whenever you're making these decisions. And effectively, it's a formulaic approach to uh, ensure that you never risk so much that your ruin is inevitable, effectively, mm -hmm. right? And... The main event final table is very special in nature. These pay jumps are just the jumps themselves are right. often more than the human being playing is worth. Correct. So it's very difficult to pull triggers and make the correct play. And that was like what made Ensign's uh, like check raise there with 98 diamonds so spectacular in nature. He was against Ace Jack on Jack 9 or Jack 8X, yeah. whatever, uh, in a multi way pot. And he left Livingston with like less than pot behind it might have even been like closer to half pot which should be a layup shove spot for livingston uh you can make an argument for folding because people were just under bluffing as a whole and things along those lines but what it's clearly not is a bluff catching spot mm. it's it's too big of a stage there just are like literally no good turn cards uh <laughs> i saw chris crook tweet said, I guess he's continuing on an ace or a jack, but yeah. what are we even talking about right now? And he said, I'm not even so sure. <laughs> yeah, but I'm not even so sure, right. And yeah, I mean, it just, it, it, it boils down to, uh, you know, he's, a, he's using his chip stack as leverage. This pot isn't that significant to him, but he understands that his opponent's now going to be guessing, right. which largely he is, but ace-jack's top of range. Right. So if we're not stacking there, right. we're only stacking with sets. Correct. And we're just not going to have sets that often, especially for the bet size that was chosen. Um, and, you know, this, this is the, the main event final table in a nutshell. The pressure is incredibly impactful. People don't really understand... Uh, you know, Scott Seaver kind of mentioned it's a reverse implied or a, a reverse ICM situation where the pay jumps in accordance to first place are actually quite small. So it's really flat between like nine and four. Right. Really right. flat. Right. Like, you know, you might be moving up a couple hundred thousand dollars. Like, I think ninth place is a million. And I think like fifth place is like 1.7 or right. something. And like then that. it gets real big. Yeah. And then it begins to increase. But like, that's four spots to only make 700,000 when first place is 10 million. Right. So 10x what you're guaranteed. He was saying like one, one day, you know, we effectively he's like, oh, every year I expect a pro to come in, go ham, but every year we get this. Right. You know, it's hard. It, for me, I, okay, so let's talk about this. So a lot of the things that I, like when I was working with Elliot, I was like, I just want to know, I just want to be prepared for when the moment comes I don't like, it's not a surprising thing. Yeah. So like, I want to be prepared not only for the moment, but the run up to the moment. Mm -hmm. um, and we just like worked on that. Like a lot of like, you know, making sure that like, it's just a puzzle. Like you're just, you're just working on a puzzle and things like that is not, and it's just a moment in time. Like yeah. you're always, you play long enough, you're going to finish first, bubble, bust yeah, first, yeah, yeah, whatever. Of course, of course. So it's just a moment in time. I would like to think that it, I would think it's just a moment in time. But, like, this is a big, big no, it, stage. It's, it's a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity. Right. And also, you get there 
by mitigating the cooler spots. Yeah. So you're heavily rewarded prior to the final nine by passing on anything that you even remotely close to being uh, marginal uh, EV. Mar yeah, marginal spot. Right. But also prior to the final nine, you know that raise and that three bet are a lot stronger of ranges. Right. 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 Or at least the three bet is. Correct. There, there's really no incentive to bluff. So, you know, leading up to the final table, there's very little bluffing that's going on. There's a lot of coolers going on. So you're heavily incentivized to mitigate risk and follow ICM incentives and just chill. Yeah. Once you get down to four-handed, five-handed, six-handed, even just the final table as a whole, all of that goes out the window. The big stack's incentives are incredibly clear. So when he becomes overly active, his range is too wide, and you get to press that equity. And that was what Seaver was trying to encapsulate. It doesn't matter really where you fall in chip position if you're not in like the top two, mm -hmm. especially if there's an overwhelming chip leader like there was right, with, right. with, with uh, you have to get those chips. Right. And you, you just can't afford to pass on these spots in order to accumulate small amounts of money. Small amounts of relative money. Right. right. Yeah, yeah, yes, of course, right. uh, relative to the payouts. But to Dario's credit, he did a great job of setting himself up to get heads up even in chips. But I think that, you know, to some degree, a lot of that was being on the right side of variance too. He won some big all-in flips. Yeah. And, you know, of course, that has to happen. The whole point that I'm trying to make is that when you're four-handed and you're dealt a clean four-bet all-in spot like that, where the ICM is pretty negligible, right? He had double the short stack stack, but he had half of Gary Gates' stack yeah. and a quarter of Hassan's, right? Yeah, for sure. So like, you're only looking to ladder one spot, and the difference between fourth and third was like, I think, maybe 1.5 million. Um, it, it's one of the bigger jumps, but it's not big enough in my mind to justify passing here when these two are unlikely to play an all-in pot. Makes sense. Do you remember Livingston folding queens? Yeah. So just to recap the action, <clears throat> it was uh, a raise from he opened Livingston, yeah. a call from Dario with eights, mm -hmm. and then a squeeze from Gary Gates in the big blind. A committing squeeze. Right. Yeah. And... Now it's on Livingston. Yeah, so Livingston opened off of 45 or 50 blinds. Right. Dario flatted off of like 27. Yeah, and I think it went like either 12 or, or something blinds here. Yeah. Where it's like he's going to call you if, right. if he has a value hand. Yeah. Um, and he just mucked. At, we were both watching it at the same time. And we were like, okay, he's going to go all in. Gary's going to have a decision. And then Queens hit the muck. And I yeah. was like, whoa. Yeah, like what I was saying in real time was I thought Gary squeezed was a little bit uncalculated. And what I was proposing was that uh, I was gonna start a stopwatch to see how long it took him to call yeah. once, once Livingston shoved for 50 bigs. And if he would even call at all, right? Mm -hmm. Cause like what should be very clear there is I think he made like somewhere between 12 and 15 big blinds. It's like you have tens, you're doing this to call off. For sure. But when you get four bet jammed on at the final table of the main event, that's unlikely to ever be a bluff. Right. So basically what I was proposing was like, this three bet is putting Gary in the cage, not his opponents. Yeah. And by the time it gets back on him and he's facing a shove, he's gonna have, I, I set the over under at two and a half minutes. Jeez. I was like, he's gonna have a two and a half minute decision here as to what to do. Uh, but then shockingly, like I think Livingston may have read it too much into that and just stripped it back a level where it's like, well, this three bet's never a bluff and Queens just aren't doing well against a non-bluff range. So I'm just gonna muck. I think it's crazy, though, to think that, like, Gary's always calling jacks, always calling ace-queen. Yeah. Um, what, you know. do you, what do you think is, <clears throat> you know, they removed the eight, sorry, they removed, like, the, the long, like, break from, from the final table now, the right? November 9. The November 9. Yeah. Uh, so now you get one day, right? What do you think? Two-part question. So what do you think about the removal of the November 9 in terms of improvement to players? Mm -hmm. But also, what do you think is the most important skill at a main event final table? Is it strategy, mental? Is it like... Because it, clearly, I think Dario, hands down, played amazingly well. Up till I, heads up, yeah. his mental game was the strongest by a long right. shot. I thought, um, I thought heads up, he was a little weary. I, th I think uh, strategic game, very strong, Yeah. right? So you had experience, you know, training uh, Russell Thomas and stuff like that. So, like, what do you think is, like, 
the focal points here? Like, what are the major things that are going to eventually lead to a champion? So I think it's twofold. I think number one, first and foremost, and this just distills down to simple sit, sit and go strategy, is comprehending what each stack's incentives are and how closely they're applying that strategy. Mm. So I think we saw that uh, Hassan was absolutely applying the correct strategy according to his stack. He played very tight nine-handed, and then as it became more and more shorthanded, he began to pick spots really critically um, and did a great job of just like leaning and you know taking spots when they were available. Mm -hmm. I think that we saw a lot of mistakes from the middle to small stacks. And the reason being is the second part of what I think is necessary to win the main event final table. Now, granted, I've never been there. Right, of course. So I don't really we're know. We're all just speculating right? based on like our, our what we're right. watching. But I've been on a big stage. I know what it's like to be at the final table with a super high roller bowl. Like that, that moment can sweep. You can get swept up in it pretty quickly. Mm. And the second that you lose focus as to what you're personally incentivized to be doing, but also what those around you are incentivized to be doing and how closely they're applying that. Yeah. Um, it becomes very easy to give into the survival mechanisms that we have inbred in us that allow us to deviate away from risk. Okay. So I think secondhand, uh, the, the second most important thing that gives people the edge to win is being able to remove themselves from the worst case scenario. Just accepting that close spots are gonna present themselves and you have to have enough self-trust yeah. to make the correct play. Now don't get me wrong, uh, that can sometimes just present in a very negative way, right? Like Livingston probably had enough trust in himself mm -hmm. to muck Queens and muck Ace Jack and believe that it was correct. Similar to, remember when it was, uh, I believe I believe it was heads up or maybe three-handed where Joe McKean had Queens and his opponent had Jacks mm -hmm. and his opponent three-bit folded Jacks. Like it, people will say that's like a huge mistake but he had enough trust and he was right. Yeah. I mean, also like sometimes you're rewarded for like being correct in those spots. Yeah, I mean, I would have to know way, way more dynamics. Right, of course, this was years ago. And stuff. No, I understand, but just like so much of this is uh, wrapped around like stack incentives, stack sizes currently, uh, right, right. ICM implications and all this other stuff. But largely you just, from at least from nine down to three, you're really, really incentivized to go for it if you're not a top three stack. That makes sense. Or at least not a, a, a top two stack, right? Right. Um, and I think we saw this happen to Gary a little bit on day three with four remaining. He finished fourth, I believe, right? Correct. Yeah, so like with four or five remaining, uh, he was just kind of getting swallowed up by negative variance. And I didn't really see his strategy adjust too much, right? Um, I think I, we also saw some like really interesting plays i believe there was one with like ace 10 like yeah you know, it was just like whoa like what's that, going that's what on? i'm saying like he was just like his strategy wasn't adjusting and he didn't recognize the value of uh the the chips lost from a navigational standpoint because what i noticed that happened the second that he got on the shorter side when he was like four four uh four or five was that he wasn't following the incentive of that stack you have to go for it now, right? Mm -hmm. This the the very next hand after he lost uh, the big pot to get kind of crippled. I don't recall what the hand was. Um, I he was in the big blind. I, that, that's all I remember because the next hand he was in the small. Um, but what oh, then he had like ace deuce of diamonds. Yeah, like, he got ace yeah. deuce of diamonds yeah. facing a button open for sure. And just has a clear layup shove. Yeah, and just passed. Right. He just snapped mucks. And I understand it's a big moment. You haven't really gathered your scruples yet. And you're already thrown back into the fire. But like, you're losing money passing on that spot. Yeah. For sure. Yeah. And it, it's really critical to take. Yeah, that's a lot of what Elliot says. It's like, okay, like you have to be mentally prepared for every single stack you can have. Like, right. Like if you double up and you're the chip leader, you shouldn't be like on a high, on like a high. And if you lose a big pot, you shouldn't be on a low where right. like now you're passing money. Like, right, like right. You're, you should be mentally prepared for each stack at all times. Right. Like, and I, I thought Dario was the best at this throughout yeah. the course of the final table, but I saw, I saw where it shifted. Um, they got heads up and he was playing a phenomenal heads up match like it was very clear that if they played long enough he was going to get the best uh or maybe not very clear but in my opinion like he was well he, we all thought we all thought going in dario was the best player. yeah i just thought like he was going to be the stronger heads up player right and it, it was great because uh they were deep enough and he recognized this that he should pretty much have a a, a raise 
strategy from the button. Yeah. But because of the big blind ante, like you have to have a play 100 strategy from the button. And he just didn't care. He was just strictly opening for like the first hour of heads up. And it was great. Then he made this really, really long hero call where uh, it came queen high, two diamonds, and Dario had five deuce with the five of diamonds, so blocking a pair of flush draw. Yeah. And uh, they got some money in on the flop. Uh, turn was a 10. He put in more money, and the river was a brick and diamonds missed. And he called like a pot-sized bet. Ensign had queen 10 for top two. And it's just like, yeah, it was a spot yeah, where like, right. you're just not running into a, a you know, robust enough bluff range to really justify this. But the most important thing was it's going to change your strategy drastically moving forward. And uh, the negative momentum mentally that's associated with this may be enough to reduce your edge down to break even or, or worse. And I think that's like precisely what happened. Like you could just see a shift the second that happened where like he was a little bit broken. Yeah. We talk about this a lot at the MTT Academy. Uh, so give us a submission so you can come. Anyway. So we talk a lot about this in the MTT Academy where like both moving blocks or moving zones, however we want to describe it, is a very bad thing, especially if you're doing it in like thin spots. Yeah. So anytime you're like changing your strategy and it's caused by a thin spot, probably a spot to pass. And then one of the things we also work on in terms of like with Nick Howard and stuff is like gray zones and like yeah. the the marriage of a gray zone and tilt factor mm -hmm. or and like playing suboptimally after uh, inserting yourself in a gray zone. Right, and that's effectively what happened. He went from, you know, somewhere being in the neighborhood of like 70 to 100 blinds to being in the neighborhood of like 40 to 60 blinds. And now all of a sudden they start limping every single button. Mm. But he's at a two and a half to one chip deficit. This is a negative event for him. Correct. Right? So now he, so basically his his opponent was just mimicking his button strategy. So when they were when they were effectively even in chips, they were both just opening buttons. Right. And now that he's at a two to one disadvantage, they just start limping buttons and playing a lot more small pots. Well, this, you know, in my opinion, doesn't really benefit uh, Dario, where he's just going to perform better in bloated pots as long as he keeps himself out of this gray zone. Makes sense. And this really long hero call that he ends up making, like it kind of broke him a little bit to the point where, like, I think there's no way. He plays the eight four of spades the way that he did uh, his his bust hand. Yeah. I don't think there's any chance he plays that hand one of the heads up. I understand. Not not in that manner. That makes sense. Uh, so to give a little recap, uh, effectively it went kings open the button. He defends eight four suited. Comes uh, I think queen high two spades or ten high two spades. Check bet two thirds pot. Yeah. And that right there should have been the first red flag. We hadn't seen a two thirds pot c bet maybe the entire heads up match. Mm -hmm. He defends, turns a gut shot flush draw, yeah. turn was like a six or something like that. It's like 10, nine, six, check. And he bets like three quarters pot. Yeah. And now Dario's in a situation where like, he probably is should be teetering between calling and folding. Call fold, yeah. Right? All in just shouldn't be really an option. Definitely not a big enough range card. Definitely not a wide enough range taking this big bet, big bet approach on this board texture. And uh, you know, we're not even certain of the necessary equity of our hand. So I, I think a call is justifiable. I think a fold is probably best, but a shove absolutely un, in, in no circumstance, in my opinion anyway, is going to get th through uh, facing a fold. Like, I just don't think that there's much of a bet fold range um, yeah. against an opponent who's clearly playing somewhat exploitatively. So now we have a new ambassador to the game. True story. The Germans got their champ. They got him. They've, well, they had him. P.S. Heinz was a German. That's true. P.S. Heinz was a German. How about P.S. Heinz, the original hood master? To be fair, I think he's Serbian, but lives in Germany. Not, not P.S. Uh, oh. Hassan. Hassan. Yeah, but Hassan had like Dominic Nietzsche right behind him. He's, he's, well, you have Dominic Nietzsche behind you, German, even if you're Dominican. You're yeah. German. No, that's fair. So, after all that, like the good news that we ended up seeing, uh, Two inductees to the Poker Hall of Fame. One was, well, do you know? Do you know the list kind of a pro, about? I remember like it was like Chris Ferguson, Ted Forrest, okay, uh, Moneymaker, Oppenheim, Fundiari, Mike, Mike Matisau. Um So yeah, so it's Fundiari. So, so Moneymaker is this Moneymaker's first attempt? I believe so. It has to be right. Yeah, yeah, he's definitely a first ballot guy. Yeah, 
So he gets inducted immediately. Then the second vote goes to Oppenheim. Legend. Who his inductee photo will go down in history. It is the most pimp photo I've ever seen. He was like, cut to the photo. So what do you what do you what do you think about this photo right now? I, I just think like Opie is like Vegas through and through. And like this just couldn't be any more fitting. I, I don't know him all that well. Uh, I've played with him a couple of times in, uh, in the big game, and I mean, from everything I understand, he's a fucking legend in, yeah. the, mix, in the mixed game community. He's been playing nosebleeds for twenty years, twenty five years, probably at this point. Yeah. I remember the first time I saw him, he was he was battling No Limit Holden versus Tom Dwan, Phil Ivey, uh, Patrick Antonius, all on Poker After Dark, and he just mashed them. Yeah. It was one of like the most legendary things. I thought he was like pretty good. I thought me and him had the same hairstyle. So, <laughs> so he gets inducted. Moneymaker gets inducted immediately. There was some rumors, uh, or not even rumors, but some just like kind of hate on Moneymaker being in the Hall of Fame. They were effectively saying like all he did was win one tournament. Like you can't just win one tournament and go in the Hall of Fame. Like this isn't you know. the Baseball Hall of Fame, man. You don't need a resume mile long. Like, this guy had more impact on poker than probably 95% of people in the but Hall of Fame. But let me say something, though. In, in the defense of the people arguing against, when you see the rules of, like, who can get inducted, it says, like, plays high stakes. Been, you know, all these things. It's like, Moneymaker never played high stakes. Like, what, about, what about Maury? No, but, so Maury also played high stakes for a while. Okay, like, fine. You know, he played high stakes for a while, and he's also like an influencer. So he's like a different. But I think money's, money makers an influencer. That's what I think. That's what I think he goes down as. But like, I think he's gonna go down as a player. I don't give a shit what label he gets. I think it's very clear that he's an influencer. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, if Jason Somerville makes the Poker uh, Hall of Fame, he's yeah. almost certainly gonna go in as an influencer. That's not right, to right. discredit his poker shops. Right. So it's yeah, just, it's, he's more impactful in that community. Right. So yeah, it's interesting now today because before it was just like player or media. But I think now within media there's also just like this like subcategory of like you can be media and a player. I mean, well yeah, but not only that that definitely is going to branch out, right? right? Just due to self-promotion and all the platforms we have available. Hit me up when I turn 40. <laughs> Yo, it's right around the corner for me. I'm not even going to sniff a fucking... You'll be in the Hall of Fame, man. You got a lot of YouTube videos. You got a lot of YouTube hands. No, no. <laughs> yeah, but like, uh, you know, guys like Savage. Uh, right. I, I don't know if he's already in. Yeah, um, I'm not sure either. I'm sure he's been inducted, if, if not. Uh, or nominated, rather. You know, he's not a player. Right. And technically, he's not an influencer. But right. I mean, he, he influences a lot. He's, right. the, he's the leader of an industry. Um, so yeah, I mean, I, I think that like... Hall of Fames are silly. Really? Coming from your baseball background? That's a big deal in baseball. They're silly. Barry Bonds, Pete Rose, Roger Clemens, these guys are all not in the Hall of Fame. Ah, we're going to get into this shit. Listen, man. It's silly. They were doping. I don't give a shit what they were doing. So were half of the people in the Hall of Fame. But if you get caught, it's different. They, they didn't get caught. Ah. One guy got caught betting on himself. The other two guys are rumored. I mean, yeah, don't get me wrong. I believe that they were taking, but so what? You know what I, the one thing I remember about that entire era is Rafael Palmeira. And that oh, like, man. that like finger. Yeah. Like, yeah. Let me start by telling you this. I have never used steroids today. It's like, oh his, man. His, uh, his testimony was absolutely embarrassing. I mean, it was, it was, it was something. That, yeah. that era was, or something else. So, do you care about the Poker Hall of Fame? Like, is that is that something we should care about as a, as a community, or is it just like a nice thing? Well, the problem is, is that there's a hard divide between the old guard and the new guard, mm. and then the new new guard, or whatever you want to qualify. Yeah. I mean, I remember like they were making arguments for Durr to be in the Hall of Fame back in like 2009 when influencer. he was like, he was like 21. Big influencer. Sure, but like you still have to stand the test of time in some regard. Um, yeah, and like I think that's the biggest issue is that in sport, still playing the biggest games. Yeah, well, I mean somewhere, right? But I think that's the biggest problem is that in sports, the Hall of Fame serves as a nice uh, exclamation point to a career that's already over. Yeah, 
in poker, it's just like an arbitrary, you're getting older. So we're going to recognize what you've done thus far kind of thing. And yeah. there's like them only taking two a year is obviously very low. But also there's just like now this kind of thing of like uh, no, almost nobody at age 40 should be a first ballot guy anymore. Right? Yeah, right, right. Right, yeah. like think about whenever like I think I think we'll see right we'll start see. to turn 40. I think we'll see like Galfon get it immediately. Yeah, I think that's, yeah, there's right. always going to be like one in a generation or whatever, but like that's not that far away, right? So it's like, let's say it's like 10 years away from guys like Galfon uh, and, and like Oli Shemin, uh, he's probably a lot younger, actually. Oli Shemin is younger than yeah, me. Oli yeah, Shemin is like 25. All right, whatever. The oldest of the Germans, <laughs> whoever they may Let's be. Let's take a guess. I'm trying to think. Uh, yeah, honestly, <laughs> they all seem so young. It might be like it's, Igor. No, it's definitely like that guy that folded aces to Seaver. Oh. Um, I forgot his name. Uh, God, I know who you're talking the about. The aces guy. I you can't. really folded aces? Cut to the tape. <laughs> <laughs> I can't. You don't have to tell them to cut. They'll just do it. Rankemeyer running out of time. And he folds. There's no chance that's aces. That would Impossible. Be, no chance. So, how, how can you do that? Rankemeyer is stunned. Um, yeah, but like, yeah, Igor's probably one of the older ones at like mm. 32, 33, I would guess. But anyway, like, so say they're a decade away, right? And they're on the ballot. They're still going to be on the ballot against similar people that were there last night, like Madison. Right, right. They'll still be carrying through. Yeah, because like they're only taking two a year. And the problem is, is that it's difficult for a guy like Madison to stay relevant long enough to make you remember how right. relevant he was for 20 years. Yeah, I feel like Madison, he kind of just always gets unlucky, man. Like, it's, it's, he should be in. Like, he was the He would have been a first ballot guy when he was 35. Right. Because right. the landscape was so different. Correct. Right? And he was just a major, major figure. Right. Right. You know? And now, all of a sudden, it's like he's just going to fade off into the sunset. And, like, that's unfortunate because this is when it probably means the most to him. All right. So, you don't give a fuck about the Hall of Fame. It's not that I don't care. It's just that I think that uh, it's hard for the community to care. Yeah. The community I, I is it. young. I get it. Community's young. I want in. Uh, <laughs> all right. So after that, we saw a pretty interesting article come out saying that artificial intelligence has got to the point where it can beat six max no limit hold. We had a conversation of this, you know, through our group. What are your general thoughts? We saw a lot of buzz about this. We saw Doug Polk make a video. We saw articles come out. Uh, I think I saw Nate Silver post something yeah. about it as well. Yeah. Is this it? Is this no. it? No, this relax. is it, man. You said three, two summers ago, you were like, all right, this is it. Now, this summer, you were like, all right, nah, for real, this is it. <laughs> and, then we're, and then a week passes, we're like, I mean, I saw some shit last night at the fucking poker table, so this isn't it. <laughs> no, this isn't it. Um, you know, it, it's what we expect it to be. Like, there's always going to be advancements in our computational sciences, artificial intelligence, all these things. And Glorbis is able to demonstrate that simply the ability to take an aggregate over multiple strategies and apply it is going to be much more, I guess, conducive to plus EV decisions than anything humans can do. So basically, what all that means in layman's terms is it's hard for us to mix, right? We just have a very difficult time mixing, and poker is a game that's built upon mixing strategies. The Get beauty, your phone clock out. No, that doesn't. The, the that thing doesn't is, work. like, that's just not going to function. It's anecdotal mostly in yeah. nature, and you're just not going to know enough of the spots. Yeah, yeah, like you're going to miss a lot of the small mixes that can make you a lot of money. Yeah. Um, the beauty of this is, though, that <clears throat> the way human beings actually do mix. And what we're very good at is pattern recognition, right. uh, the ability to kind of like um, communicate non-verbally and decipher what that information is, even if we're doing it through a biased lens. Right. So by being able to calibrate our environment and actually comprehend what the meaning of actions are, what the meanings of postures and uh, you know physical tells, and I, I'm not trying to like go too far into the foo-foo shit. All I'm trying to say is that like, you're gonna be put into thousands of decisions where you need to choose mixed frequencies. 
and a lot of what your environment dictates will lean you towards the proper mixing. Let's talk about the foo-foo. So isn't the argument that the reason that that doesn't work is because your bias is going to be based on like how you like effectively like nature versus nurture. So like your nurture is going to like lead you one way. Yeah. If you're, if you're too aggro because of like where you grew up, you're going to see things this way. Or if you're, if you're passive, you're going to see things this way. If you have like certain tilt problems because of psychological, like, well, like most, you're just going to, mostly you're, it's going to be your, you're going to be shaped by, you don't know what you don't know. Mm -hmm. So when you're less privy to common strategy, you're going to see things as foreign and you're going to interpret them a certain way. Yeah. But the whole, the whole element of that is that's where the skill lies. The more knowledge you're able to wrap around uh, the actual mechanics of the game, the more that you can begin to interpret a lot of the nonverbal things that are taking place. And yes, this is going to be incredibly biased, yeah. but it's the most accurate thing that we as human beings can do. And those who are more skilled at it will just simply perform better. And the counter to that is like, well, you know, you're just better served to play theory optimal. And it's like, well, yeah, sure, but you're incapable of that. Uh, as at this very moment is AI. What we should recognize is that Pluribus is still a very much exploitative machine. It's just able to do it in a uh, more protected manner than we ever could. Does that make you happy? Kind of, Se yeah. Seeing the word exploitative being used in that realm? Well, what makes me happy, what really made me happy about the, the uh, I guess, white paper of all this was that uh, they openly denounced Nash at multi- Mm -hmm. in a multiplayer environment, which yeah. we've already known to be undiscoverable thus far. It's yeah. not that it doesn't exist. It's that we don't have a quantifiable way to get to it. So rather than trying to solve the unsolvable uh, at this very point in time, they just decided to like forego that and begin basically cultivating a database of decision points and taking the average EV from uh, what, what basically they're taking place in. And that's what we're doing as humans as well. So yeah. it's actually mimicking the human brain and the processes that we go through in a much more one-to-one uh, -one type of way. The only difference is its computational power is a million to one. You know, it's like it's able to actually do and remember things that we never could. Do you feel as if, like, you know, there's a chance 30, 40 years down the line that, you know, the field you're in is actually part of the advancement of humanity in a way? Like, because yeah. poker, they're using, like, these games to advance AI, which might solve, like, massive things. So, like, like you know, whether we make the Hall of Fame or not, we're going to be going down in history. We're pioneers. Yeah. I understand. Yeah, I, I mean, it's undoubtable that poker is one of the best Petri dishes for AI. Petri dishes? Yeah. You know, where they're, like... This is when the people in the comment section <laughs> say that you say these words and nobody knows. I don't even know what a petri dish is. I never. You, what is a petri dish? A petri dish? dish is where like scientists will grow like bacteria or whatever to study. Uh, so it's effectively a testing ground. This SAT word. That's what they said in the comments. You use a lot of SAT words. I did well on my SATs. Uh, I mean, I don't. I don't I'm not going to apologize for that. I'm, I'm not sorry. Um, but yeah, poker is an absolute, uh, you're searching for a word. I am now <laughs> Yes. <laughs> trying to dumb it down. We got him. Uh, yeah. Poker, poker is just like the ultimate playground for testing these AI advancements because it comes with imperfect information and also, uh, it doesn't have a clearly defined answer. So it, it does have the variance, uh, and, and luck factor to it that something like chess simply doesn't. Right. Um, you know, effectively, like, I, I was actually asking Dan about this the other day. I was like, does StarCraft have a, uh, th does it have a board to it that is unreliant upon luck? Or does it have a luck factor? And his initial response was it has a luck factor. And I was like, so if all information in StarCraft was completely perfect, there would still be some element of chance that would dictate a winner or a loser. And he was like, oh, no, it's just a really complex board. Uh, right, so like that's the difference between chess, Starcraft, mm -hmm. whatever, and poker. If we played face up, there's still a luck element For as sure. to like who's gonna win in any given outcome, you know. And because of that, it much more closely replicates life. Most of the real world problems we're trying to solve are gonna have some level of variance to them, and uh, you know, some level of uh, margin of error. And that's really critical 
whenever you're talking about programming these AIs and trying to advance them, because in reality, what you're really trying to do is teach them to think. Yeah, I think games that both involve the ability for the hero to lose on purpose plus variance is like, it's why we love the game, right? It's like a skill game is a game where like you, you can't, you can lose on purpose, but you can't win on purpose. Right. You know what I mean? And on top of that, add the element of variance. And now you have a really, really crazy game. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, blackjack's like the simplest version of that. Um, when you're trying to convey that, uh, I guess, explanation of, uh, what makes it a game of skill is I can attempt to lose on purpose. So if I'm playing, if I'm choosing between blackjack and roulette, uh, I can never lose on purpose on roulette unless I literally bet the entire board. Right. Right. And now I'm just like losing to the effective rake mm. of, uh, of the double zeros and whatnot, but, um, or, or the bad odds that the house pays. But in blackjack, I can just hit to infinity until I bust, which allows me to now lose on purpose, which means that there's absolutely some sort of EV to every single decision that I make in game. And that equates to skill. The more plus EV decisions you make, the more skillful you are, the more of a skilled game that it actually is. But that's not going to stop the dealer from just dealing himself blackjack. Yeah. Right? That's just going to happen at chance some amount of the time. Some people, this is the barrier, though, for studying, right? Like, so some of the people that have come through these doors um, effectively have said, you know, at, at one point or another, not necessarily once they're here, they've said, as much as I study, like, the ace is still going to come on the turn. Like, yeah. So that's also a barrier to studying. I think that poker, more so than almost anything that I've ever been involved in, at least personally, requires a certain level of mental fortitude that, um, you know, very few other realms really require. Uh, you, you really have to find some level of comfort with the masochism that takes place here. Yeah, where, here we go. That's another one. Uh, I, mean, <laughs> I mean, it's true. Like, we sign up for this mm. this event yeah where the outcome is going to be negative at a really high percentage of the time right at least in the short term right like no no for sure you're going to lose a lot of hands in a row you're going to be dealt a lot of shitty hands in a row like you don't get to see the big picture strategy in mm -hmm. the short term no for sure right and like realizing that ev especially if we attach uh, a mental or emotional or chemical sort of response to the feedback loop is going to have you riding a roller coaster yeah. Right. So finding a way to detach and actually have like the mental fortitude to just be strong through the downswings and recognize, uh, you know, I guess variance in motion. That's a really un it's effectively a, a non-human thing. Right. You're asking your brain to perform a non-human task. One of the you know, one of the friend, one of our, our friends and like, you know, someone I work with, like one of my my students, Chris K, was like he was having like a rough month. And then like we went over some of his hands and then he had like. Uh, like a, two big wins back to back. And he's like, yo, I'm right back on it, you know, whatever. And, you know, maybe I helped, maybe it was just, uh, you know, uh, placebo, whatever, mm -hmm. you know. Um, but then he ended up like losing two pots and like he reverted back to where he was, like in a bad mental state. And I was like, listen, like when you're playing, you are making decisions not on 100% confidence. Like you're making decisions on like 70% confidence, right? But so there's a 30 percent, uh, you know, you could just be dead wrong, right? Yeah. Like you're, you're, you're dead wrong. But on top of that 30 percent that you're dead wrong, your opponent also just has equity in his hand. Right. So it's like even when you're right, he wins. And when you're wrong, he wins. Yeah. Like there's just a lot of times that you're just going to lose because either that 30 percent that you're 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 wrong on your confidence level and then. 20 or 25% or 30% that your opponent has in equity is also being multiplied in some, in some probably complex math there, you know? So you're just doing a lot of losing. And you have to accept that those are multiple factors you can't control. And if we add that now to a multiplayer game, you're in a weird, you're in a weird crazy yeah. element, you know? I, I think that's something really important to internalize and also to recognize whenever you're studying. The, more, the higher your confidence whenever you're making any sort of decision, the more accurate you can rely on things like direct odds, on implied odds, uh, th these, these 
uh, very baseline estimates that we're making in game, mm -hmm. right? So to your point, if you're trying to take a bluff spot and you recognize that in this scenario, based on your estimations, you're allowed to bluff two, uh, twice as many combos as you are value, right? Yeah. And you run through the, the potential combos of hands in your range and you uh, arrive at the fact that like, okay, this falls in line with that, right? You still have to now be confident that your initial estimate was correct, right? Mm -hmm. So the less confident you are in how often you're able to take that bluffing frequency there, the more margin of error. The larger the margin of error, the more that compounds against the actual equity whenever you're wrong. Right. Or not even wrong, just when your opponent continues, yeah, right? Because like even, so say you're able to take twice as many bluffs as you are uh, value, right? They're still going to have 33% continuance. That, that's effectively what that's going to distill down to. And whenever they have that continuing range, they're going to have you absolutely in horrible shape. Yeah. So you're going to be losing a fair amount of money whenever they do choose to continue. You're going to be making that money back whenever they choose to fold. The, the, the more inaccurate you are with your fold equity estimation, the more it compounds against the fact that you are pushing effectively reverse equity, right? So that's what defines a spot being close. Spots aren't close because they feel a certain way mm -hmm. or because a hand is bad or good or some other emotional term that we apply to it. Spots are close because we haven't done the work to identify exactly the accuracy in which we need to perform. And that's where it all comes out, right? It all distills down to some sort of simple mathematical equation. Solve for why 2020, you know? The EV course. EV course. So that brings us to PokerGo Super High Roller Cash Game? Is that nah, what it is? Nah, man, we're playing 2550. This is the shots fired. Oh, shit. Let's talk about it. <laughs> so... You're going to be playing the Poker After Dark, right? Yeah. Yeah. Poker After Dark, shots fired. You versus your good friend, Doug Polk. Not playing. Not playing? You got shook? Wait, he's not playing? From what I understand, nah, like... fuck that. <laughs> fuck that. When you didn't play, he took shots at you. <laughs> what the fuck is going on? Now, all of a sudden, he's not playing? He retired, man. You no, saw No, no, no. I think he's scared. <laughs> I, I, think, I think something's going on. What happened? Like, the lineup's too tough? He's scared of Johnny Vibes? I heard that... I heard, like, half the lineup bailed because Daniel wasn't playing. This shit is bullshit, man. Everybody's remember, trying to go after me. I remember back in the day, two years ago, you... Didn't play a game because because of unfortunate circumstances of like not bringing enough money. This motherfucker lives in Vegas. I was bedridden for months. You can see it in the vlog. He was in rough shape. Uh, we had to pull him out of bed, uh, teach him to walk again. Uh, he basically became a piece of shit. I've known Berkey for 20 years, you know, and I've never seen him this week. In light of the allegations from Live at the Bike, it's in my best interest to retire from poker. The past few weeks have taught me a lot about honor and courage and how my aggressive spewy style of play is clearly just me overcompensating for being a shell of a man off the felt. Effective immediately, I'll be refunding all the money to anyone I've ever won a pot off of, along with an apology box of Krispy Kreme donuts. As a metaphor for how soft and flaky I've become. <laughs> I'm done with this guy. All right. So no, I don't know what the lineup's supposed to be. So it's uh, you. I assume it's gonna be you, Shanti, and Johnny Vibes. So from what I heard, no. Listen, man, I'll take shots at somebody this week if they let me in. That's there. that's the thing. I'm not sure. I, I don't know. The original lineup was supposed to be me, Dean Eggs, Vibes, Deeb, Doug Polk, Sam Soverall, maybe. Yeah, yeah, Sam. Because it was like right after the the 50k debacle. Okay. Um, to my knowledge. I'm the only one who is committed. I'm going to text Brent Hanks. Listen, Brent Hanks, who you want me to talk to, man? I, I already took a shot at Doug Polk right in this fucking vlog. <laughs> <laughs> like, what's up? Anyway, um, that's still a good look. Are you, are you excited to be playing cash? God, I'm desperate to play cash. I got beat up so bad this summer in tournaments, man. This is legit the saddest I've been all summer. This one hurts way worse than the main event. It's just a, a lost opportunity. 
Um, I'm unsure if I'm going to play the closer. I honestly just don't know if I have the heart. Well, I think back every now and then so I can sit back and just pretend that when you Step one to curing the post-World Series blues. Get a hammer. Step four, get yourself a dog. Or two. Step five, when all else fails, get a job. I forgot, like, even my best summers, I still pulled a little bit of double duty. Mm. Um, you know, you got invites at the big game and shit, you know. 2013 was the only summer where, like, I didn't play any cash at all. And granted, it was my best summer ever World Series-wise, but that's why I didn't play any cash. Right, right, right. Like, I was at a final table every fucking day. Uh, not going that deep in that much stuff was fucking painful. And shockingly, like, I had a really good summer online, which I don't really play all that often, but... I think I cashed for like probably somewhere in the neighborhood of like thirty-five or forty thousand. Yeah, you're an online pro. No, I don't even know if I profited to be <laughs> honest. <laughs> it's hard to profit in tournaments, man. It- uh, I played the one K ten times. And I cashed nine, I think. Um, but I was in for three or four bullets for the thirty-two hundred. I pretty much max regged all of the bracelet events. I think I made the 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 first or the uh, reentry break once. How many live events? approximately do you think you played like effectively what i'm trying to get to i can you. tell you the exact number but i think it was somewhere in the neighborhood of like 45 or 50 live events yeah in the summer yeah okay that was a lot i played so i i ended up cashing for with online uh combined i think i cashed for like seventy thousand, mm. and i still lost like 65 or seventy thousand for the summer you heard irs we lost all right <laughs> so um, with with now the first experience of this new era of truck structure do you still feel the way that you felt like to begin the series that these structures are good or are we shifting more towards the Jeremy Osmond side oh man they're not good for me they're mm-hmm. definitely not good for me I, I don't have a big opinion my fear is that uh, re-entry is open too late and it really incentivizes a lot of good players to just get in at last minute. Mm. Um, I, I think that that's kind of a problem. I, personally, I think it's way too deep too early. But I did run semi-deep in some events. Uh, even the Colossus, which was as much of a turbo as as could imagine. And the structure held up. Like, average stack was like 28 blinds, which is pretty good. I think I busted like 101 in that event or something like that. But, like, it seemed like you weren't really worried all that much about blinding yourself out and you know the end of the day like tournaments come in all shapes and sizes it's our job to be professionals and know how to play each structure how to beat each structure but yeah i mean the old structure was way 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 more in my favor um i think building that anxiety throughout the first six hours of the day of not wanting to bust for people who are i don't want to say scared money but you know uh they're, they're taking shots, yeah. right? Being able to prey upon the fact that they're starting the event with 75 blinds sometimes, 150 blinds max, and by level four, starting stack was like 25 blinds. You know, you have a lot of early days, but when you build up a 4X starting stack by dinner, you're just going to cash the events a right. lot. Right. And I'll tell you what, I made probably 90% of my dinner breaks this summer, but I only made two day threes. And uh, I think I only had seven caches total. So it's like, you know, it, it's just not worth that much any longer to put in these long day ones. Um, and I think like, I honestly think that I wouldn't want to do it because it's, it's not in the spirit of my edge. And uh, I guess like I'm too stubborn and proud, but I would 100% back somebody who was really good operating between 10 and 35 blinds to just max late reg the entire schedule.
Yeah, we backed Matt Hunt. That's what it is. Yeah. <laughs> the, the fuck? Like those yeah. Guys. All right. So next time uh, we are going to be talking a little bit about the Venetian tournament you're going to be in. We're going to be talking about shots fired, who shows up, who gets scared. Um, and uh, we'll see uh, if we could book a TV win. You're on a TV win streak. I am. Trying to make it five and six in a row. I need it. So if you want to beat the man, show your face. If not, stop making poker hands or whatever it is that you're making. All right? Shots fired.